her addiction became so powerful in her life that she ended up actually starting to sell everything in her house. So, I mean, she was selling our clothes, our furniture, our appliances. I mean, anything she could really put up in the front yard and say, give me $20 for it. You know, that's what she was doing. And I have a very vivid memory of her kind of doing that, coming home, walking in our trailer that we were living in, and there was nothing, uh, nothing around. And my father came home, you know, and if you can understand, she's pawned all his stuff off too. And they get into a huge fight, <laughs> start rolling around on the floor. She calls my grandparents in the middle of the night. She says, hey, come get the kids right now. I can't raise them anymore. Uh, come get him tonight, or she was just gonna drop us off at the police station. That was what her plan was. So when they got there and picked us up, I didn't see my mom after that night for over 10 years. Thanks for tuning in to the Reframing Ministries podcast, where we provide strength for today and hope for tomorrow for caregivers and their families. We'd love to hear how these episodes have helped you. Would you share your story in the review section of your preferred podcast app? Our team at Reframing Ministries loves to hear stories of hope and healing, and now we've played a small part in them. Now, here's Colleen. Hello and welcome Reframing Family. I am so excited about my guest today because he is going to speak into your heart for those who in the recent years have struggled with things like identity, what is God's purpose for my life, why does God allow things to happen that make absolutely no sense, what direction do I even have when God feels so far away, um, how can the trauma of my childhood ever, ever be a part of my future purpose. My guest today is going to talk about those things. Nathan Sheridan, welcome to Reframing Ministries interviews. Hi, thanks for inviting me. It's going to be fun. You are a recording artist, but your life started very, very differently. So why don't we start from the beginning? Yeah, I definitely... Um... I wasn't that kid that was always into music or anything like that. Um, I think that's sort of the story out here uh, in the Nashville area is, you know, I've been playing since I was two years old, but I definitely had a, a much different kind of journey. Uh, my parents, you know, my mom and dad weren't really in my life um, for a huge portion of my life. You know, they were just had a lot of different vices. I mean, drugs, alcohol, um, they were, you know, violent towards one another, uh, in and out of prison. And it was definitely kind of a tumultuous time for me and my family. And it kind of came to a peak around four years old. You got, if you can kind of picture this, I was always back and forth between my grandparents and my mom and dad, my grandparents and my mom and dad. It was just this kind of relationship that they had, this custody relationship that they had, where when it was inconvenient for my parents, they would kind of pawn us off on my grandparents. And whenever it was convenient for them to be mom and dad again, well, of course, we'd be back with them. And that happened for quite a while um, after, right after I was born. And it kind of came to, you know, a, a peak uh, when I was around four years old. We were living in Pensacola, Florida. We had, hadn't been there very long, just a couple months. And 
what had happened was my mother just her addiction became so became so powerful in her life that she ended up actually starting to sell everything in her house. So I mean, she was selling our clothes, our furniture, our appliances. I mean, anything she could really, you know, put up in the front yard and say, give me $20 for it. You know, that's what she was doing. And I have a very vivid memory of her kind of doing that, coming home, walking in our trailer that we were living in, and there was nothing, uh, nothing around. And it was a very, very strange experience for me. And you know, my father, I, I, I'm not sure what the context around this was, but my father came home, you know, and if you can understand, she's pawned all his stuff off too. And they get into a huge fight, um, <laughs> start rolling around on the floor. I mean, it was, it was crazy. You know, they start fighting and she calls my grandparents in the middle of the night. She says, Hey, come get the kids right now. I can't raise them anymore. Uh, come get them tonight. Or she was just going to drop us off at the police station. That was what her plan was. So my grandparents being who they are, of course, they drove all the way to Pensacola, Florida, middle of the night, came and got me and my sister. And, you know, when they got there and picked us up, I didn't see my mom uh, after that night for over 10 years. So that was the last time I would see her for over 10 years. And then of course, my father would be back in and out of prison as per usual. Uh, and he got, you know, indicted back in Louisiana again, where I was basically born and raised. So if that kind of sets the scene for you of where I was uh, in my life, um, it was a huge journey kind of getting to where I'm at. I mean, in, in not long after being full time with my grandparents, we it was like we got out of one trial, you know, we, finally we were in a good home. But then my sister, Sarah, got sick. And so so let me stop for just one second. And because I want to set the stage, just all of the trauma that you have just talked about, like it's your life that you experience. So it's and you you talk about it so openly, which I so appreciate. But that is that is so traumatic. The kind of attachment challenges, the um the lack of security, safety, right. so much now of what we know about children's brains and their wiring, how they're made for attachment and when there isn't that safe person there and then you don't have safe items, a safe space. I can't imagine you remembering much of anything except those significant traumas like having your items right. sold. And it's you and your sister. Did you share a room or did you stay close to her? I, I honestly am not sure about our, our living situation, but yes, definitely very close to my sister. I mean, that was really the only, I can't really ever remember a time where my sister wasn't there, you know, in those situations. Yeah. Um, you know, and me and her were, were obviously all each other really had. We didn't have any friends. I don't know if we really went to school at all. Um, I have like a, a sort of memory of us going to a school at one point but not lasting very long at all. So it was a very, um, yes, you're right. I mean, all the traumatic events are what really stick out because that's, I guess your body's going into a kind of a protection mode, you know, and it's, it's kind of really, you know, you're hypersensitive to what's going on around you. So that's kind of like more burned in your memory. Uh, but definitely all those scenarios were uh, what I, what I took from that whole experience. Like I never, I don't remember really anything good. 
So that that's yeah. very true. And I think, you know, it, and it shapes even sometimes the way in a flesh way, it, it still shapes some of the ways I think to this day, you know, which is unfortunate. Uh, and, you know, I have to kind of battle against that sometimes, but you're, you're, you're 100% sure you right. Yeah. And then you go to a situation where you're loved and that feels so uncomfortable because that's, like, how are you going to even trust? So you're starting at age four or five years old with grandparents who love you. And it's almost like um, an infant heart and soul where I'm, I'm afraid and I don't know how to trust these people. And when are they going to start pawning me off to somebody else? So some of those questions had to enter into your thoughts as you adjusted. I think definitely... Um in a subconscious way, some of those things were definitely making their way in. Not that I knew it at the time, but I realized, sure. you know, later on and, and especially teenage years, a lot of what I had experienced was actually affecting me when I, I hadn't given credence to it necessarily. But once I started really understanding, I was like, yeah, you know, a lot of that really, it does affect the way I think and the way I receive love and the way I give love. Uh, and who who I can trust and how I trust and, and things like that. There was definitely so many things. And you got to understand with my grandparents, they were amazing grandparents, loving grandparents, and they're still alive today. And we have an amazing relationship. Um, that being said, uh, there was a huge generation gap. You know, there was this, uh, you know, there was just this thing that was kind of between us that nobody could yeah. quite uh, pinpoint, you know, they always say I was the most difficult child they had ever raised. And it wasn't because I really, I was actually difficult. It's because they had to totally relearn how to be parents in, you know, the early 2000s <laughs> when all their kids were basically already graduated high school, almost all out the house, you know, and I talked about this on Hagee Ministries the other day with uh, Matt Hagee. I, I was telling him about, you know, when my grandfather interacted with his father, it was a totally different relationship than how, you know, than how my grandfather interacted with his sons, you know, and how his sons will interact with their sons and their daughters. So it's a totally, I feel like every generation that's kind of come along has learned to love a little bit more, maybe, you know, and learned to be a little bit more compassionate, a little bit more understanding, sometimes to a fault. But I think, you know, they had to totally kind of relearn, uh, how to raise, I think, a child. And of course, every child comes with their own personality. And I definitely had a different one than they had ever really encountered. Uh, and some of that's by nurture, some of that's by nature. So it was definitely a huge learning experience for all of us. And thankfully, though, I feel like, I feel like in a weird way, it's kind of made me this old soul. And it's given me a lot of, it's given me a lot of foundation, you know, learning some of the old, mixing it in with the new and kind of finding that in between. That's really been helpful for me uh, in raising my daughter, who's three now, you know, and really like yeah. having that hard nose kind of discipline at times, but also having that really loving and understanding kind of knowing that, hey, she's got her own personality. She's got her own thing kind of going on in her mind. And it's not necessarily something I'm teaching her. It just is what it is who she is and kind of fostering that as well. So I, I try to kind of balance that all out. And thankfully, she's not having those traumatic experiences like I was. So right. it's a whole different kind of uh, whole different atmosphere for her, which I'm really thankful for. I bet you are, because truly your personality 
um, was shaped as, a, as um, a friend of mine says, people who have early childhood trauma, it's like they're marinated in trauma. So your grandparents were initially given um, a, young kids and those that were marinated in a lot of trauma. And right. slowly as you come out of that marination, you and your sister are continuing to grow and then something happens with her. Yeah. Uh, shortly after, you know, being with my grandparents, you know, they're raising us, putting us in school, getting us back on the right track. And um, my sister starts to get uh, sick. So headaches, nausea, things like that, just different, different kind of ailments. And they end up taking her to some specialist at Children's Hospital in New Orleans. And eventually they diagnose her with uh, a rare form of adult brain cancer. So it was a an advanced form of brain cancer that was typically only seen in adults. They had only seen it in children a couple times. So it was, uh, she was one of the like four cases, documented cases in the world of having this specific cancer, which is a very long scientific name. Um, and it was very aggressive, uh, very fast growing. And it was probably the hardest trial that I think my grandparents have probably ever had to endure. Um, and it was honestly for me, even though I didn't always understand everything that was going on, it was such like a weird, it was such like a weird blur of like Sarah being well, and then she's sick. And then all of a sudden she's in a hospital bed. And then all of a sudden she's in a coma. And then, you know, all of a sudden we're not playing anymore. She's not, you know, and it's very, uh, you know, looking back, it's it's very disheartening and it, it was it's very sad to think about because I know I was absorbing a lot of those things. And of course, when Sarah finally did pass away, I mean, my heart was obviously broken because I had kind of taken for granted the fact that she was there. You know, I, I didn't understand yet that she was probably not going to make it. You know, I, I hadn't fully grasped that yet. So when I <clears throat> when I was told that she had passed away. I mean, probably the next day or two days later, we were waking her, you know, going, going to the wake. And then we were going to the funeral. And I mean, it happened so quick. And it's like, I have a sister and then bam, you know, I don't. So here I am just an only child. And that is, that adds a whole different layer. I think, you know, being an only oh, that's child. that's a huge layer. Yeah, yes, that's it, a that huge a layer. Because layer. how did God, why did God even allow that to happen? I mean, I'm sure as a young child, you don't question that. But as you grow older, you know, learning to reason and getting to know the Lord, it's like, yes, your word says you're good. Your word says you're faithful. Your word says that you heal. Your word says that you promise so much. And yet your experience at that time was anything but good. Yeah, exactly. It was so I mean, it's really it's really hard to point out <clears throat> all the good that happened. I know there was good. You know, I had a birthday, I had Christmases and there was fun times with family and things like that, but there was always this over overhanging shadow of my sister being sick, you know, my parents not being yeah. in my life and it's it's really kind of the it's this thing that kind of becomes the main thing, you know, and mm. it's shaping me you know, it's shaping everything around me and it's shaping my grandparents. I mean, if you can imagine, uh, you know, losing a grandchild, it's, it, it's something that I think, I mean, my grandmother has described it almost, it was almost worse than, it, like, she says she thinks it was almost worse than if she would have lost a child, 
you know, she's just like, it was just so incredibly hard for her to endure. And I think so much of it, it was extra. Um, it was extrapolated mainly because, you know, of my mom's situation, which is my grandmother's daughter, you know, it's, it, she was really looking to redeem a lot of things. And then whenever my sister got sick and added, and it added this whole new trial to the situation, it's like, where is God in all of this? Where is, you know, where's the Lord redeeming this? Where, where does, where's the end of it all? Where's the light at the end of the tunnel? I know that everybody had to be thinking that. Um, and as I got older, I mean, I was definitely thinking it all the time. I bet you were. And I think what we don't realize is that God doesn't, or what we don't think of quickly is that God does not operate on our time and space. I, the prophet Isaiah says, as far as your, as far as the East is from my, the West. So my thoughts are different from your thoughts and my ways are different from your ways. And right. we can't see at the time, all that he was preparing you for, the resilience you were developing, the um, adaptability that you were developing, the awareness of looking at other people and and observing their reactions, which is exactly what you probably use now as a gift in your music and in your performing with others or just being with others, the intuition being developed. But we don't see that at the time. We just see the loss. And right. for... <clears throat> For by the grace of God, you were able to move forward, went into high school. And I this morning I was listening to one of the interviews where you said you were pretty shy. You didn't sense that there was a musical gift. You were kind of lost. And what did that look like? Yeah, I definitely never um I never had really music flowing like in me in that way. Like I never uh mm -hmm. You know, because of my grandparents, I mean, I had grown up listening to hymns, listening to oldies, listening to the Gaithers, <laughs> yeah. listening to, you know, I really did. Like, I listened to so much 70s and 80s um, and very... Hey, there's some good rock music in the 70s oh, and 80s, great. I'm just going to say. Great music. And <laughs> they really, probably didn't and, play it, though. <laughs> and really, if you ask any musician, I mean, that's really what a, a lot of them gain inspiration from. But for me, it was just like, yeah, this is cool, like you know, listening to Bob Dylan, whatever, you know, and it's, it was just kind of a funny thing. And, um, I never took that any further though. Like the, the most, and I, I truly mean this, like the most musical thing that ever happened in our house was when we were given, which I feel like this happens to every family at some point. Like I, we were given this old beat up electronic piano, you know, that needed batteries. <laughs> And it's like, it just sat under the bed forever. And then I remember my grandmother being like, why don't you go get that out? Uh, I got some batteries for it. And she, you know, she put it on uh, like a, a little stand uh, that mm -hmm. we had in the, uh, for like, you know, eating at the, at the couch, you know, she kind of sat that mm -hmm. up, th up there and she got a hymnal out. I mean, I, for some reason, cause we were Southern Baptist, uh, I guess like every person in the family had stolen a hymnal at some point and we just had like a whole drawer, <laughs> a whole drawer full of these super old hymnals and the pages are all falling out. And she just opened up to some of her songs and she started playing. And that's really when I discovered that my grandmother could actually play at all. You know, I mean, she had, um, and she really knew how to play. She really knew how to read music. And I had no idea really. Um, 
just kind of heard it. You know, she always hummed in the kitchen, things like that. So she's definitely a lover of music and she knew how to play. But at that point, I never sang. I had never read music. I had never played an instrument, never done anything, never sang. So it was totally foreign for me. You know, that was the biggest musical thing that had ever happened in our house. And then, you know, it's like, all right, now go put it back under the bed. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it's like, you know, she very rarely would do something like that. So when when I got into high school and uh, turned 15 years old, I mean, it was like it was such a random thing when uh, I, I, I have and this I got to put into a uh, disclaimer here. I am an only child basically by, you know, nurture because I was raised, you know, as an only child. I do have an older sister named Tennille that she whenever I was born, she was already in her 20s. So she, you know, from a same father. So me and her have a great relationship and she was almost like a mother to me really like you know i was at her house a lot she helped raise me along with my grandparents so uh I, me and her were talking and she's like well what do you want for your birthday you're turning 15 you know what's going on and i said oh just get me a guitar you know whatever and i had like looking back i have absolutely no clue why i would ask for that it had to be the Lord just being like, hey, just say guitar. <laughs> and she's like, OK, you want to play guitar? We'll do it. And the only thing I'd ever done before that was like take a couple piano lessons at school, you know, uh, you know, and, she, and Tennille even tried to like put me in piano lessons at one point. I hated it. You know, I didn't take to it at <laughs> all. And I, you know, I wanted to play the guitar. So uh, she bought me a guitar and man, before you know it, I was really just glued to that thing. I mean, I really just started learning uh, to read music, learning tablature, learning, you know, Ode to Joy, Mary Had a Little Lamb, you know, at 15, just like kind of getting all the, all the stuff you really should be learning at five or six, you know, if you're going to be a music, if you want to learn to play music, I was learning at 15. So a late start nonetheless, but man, I, I kind of took that in, started playing chords, started just learning all, all the music aspect of my instrument. And then sure enough, kind of a, it's really a God thing. I mean, I was saved at 14 years old, praise God. Like my, my grandparents really just showed me who Christ was and, and made sure I was in the right place at the right time, uh, you know, in a church environment. And man, by the grace of God, being in youth group, just kind of a spot opened up for us to start like a contemporary youth, ba youth band, which was crazy for a Southern Baptist thing. You know, I mean, we only sang hymns. I mean, really. Right. So we started this thing up and. I just like started singing, I, you know, and just kind of just as a fill in, you know, I was like, I didn't think I could sing. I really didn't. And they, I said, well, I'll just sing until we find a female singer. Like I wanted a, a girl to take over. Like that's what because in my mind, I'm like, well, you know, it just makes more sense. Like girls have better voices, you know, they can sing higher, all, the, all these things like that. And and the guys in the band, they're like, well, we don't really want to find another singer. We like the way you sing, you know? So that kind of told me Isn't right there. Isn't that like, wonderful? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah. They really, they really put the screws to me and they wouldn't let me quit. You know, they didn't want me to just like become another guitar player. Um, so they really put me in a position to start leading worship, you know, to start singing in front of people and, and, leading others. So it, it was an amazing experience. Like it was all orchestrated by God and, and his providence was really there because so many doors opened that I never intended for them to open. I never, 
set out for them to open. I'm not the one who said, oh, we should start a band. I never, none of that. You know, all I, the most I ever did was just like bring my guitar to youth group and kind of just like, you know, kind of just in a way I was just kind of trying to manifest that, I guess, you know, in a weird way. But, you know, I'm not the one who said, hey, we should do all this. Hey, you should sing and stuff like that. So it's like God has really just put all these people around me to like get around me and say, hey, this is what you're going to do. You know, we're going to start this band. You're going to be the singer. It's incredible looking back. Visit us at reframingministries.com for all of Colleen's interviews, articles, recommended resources, and more. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe and receive our free five-day video devotional series where Colleen provides pointers for navigating daily life and struggles. I think that the gifts that God puts in each individual come out whether we know it or not. And here you were having had not a lot of mirroring or reflection back as to, yeah, Nathan, you're really good at this or let's try that. Or, But God, through your sister, put that guitar into your life and you took to it because it's a natural gift. He gave you a voice you didn't know about. So you just kind of had that with you, but it came out because that's how God surprises us right. when we are available. You weren't distracted with trying to do your own thing. You didn't have your own agenda. You were just yeah. surviving. And yeah. so you get, so you, so you have these guys go, Hey, we want you to sing, which is what I would have said after hearing your, your music <laughs> yesterday and today. I'm like, that's the guy that needs to sing. And so you graduate from high school and you join the military and it even gets bigger. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a weird thing. Uh, by the way, don't be fooled by my voice now. It's definitely uh, it's funny listening back. I'm like, I don't know what they saw in my voice then, because when I listen back to it, I'm like, wow, it's so different. But I mean, again, Providence, how the Lord the Lord needed me to start then to get me yeah. to where I am now. And you're, you're right. I mean, as when I joined the military, it was almost like in a weird way I was. I, I knew I wanted something bigger in my life. I knew I wanted to do something amazing. I knew I wanted to have mm. just a different experience than what I'd ever had. I wanted to totally flip my life upside down. Like that's really what I wanted. So joining the military, you know, enabled me to do that. But then also in another way, I was sort of running from, I was running away a little bit from music because I was like, there's no way God's going to do this for me. Like there's no way that I'm ever going to be able to sing at a level that could do anything uh, do anything for me substantial. And it was kind of a lie. I was telling myself, you know, the, the thoughts of the enemy creeping in. And a lot of it is I had no guidance, you know, from, you sure. know, I, it's not like I had all these musicians in my life telling me, Hey, this is what you do. This is how you, you know, you cut a record. This is, I had none of that. So I was totally blind. And I mean, I'm like, forget it. I'm just going to join the military. I need a job. I need, I need some, some stability in my life. And then I do, and then I fall right back into music, <laughs> you know, in the military. <laughs> so it's it's kind of funny. Like, I mean, I, of course, I went to basic training, but as soon as I got to AIT, I uh, I had opportunities to lead worship on uh, Fort Gordon in Georgia, which is the Signal Corps out there, and that's what I was. I was communications. So, um, you know, I went out there and and had opportunities to lead worship every Sunday, and got back into playing guitar, got back into singing. And man, before you know it, here I am right back in the same boat. I'm right back to 
I, you know, and loving it, you know, I'm loving getting to do it again. So it's like I, I ran from it and tried, but I couldn't really get away from it. Then immediately after AIT, I get deployed to Camp Arifjan, Kuwait. And then sure enough, at, in Kuwait, I find opportunities again to lead worship. And we start up a worship band uh, at, at Camp Arifjan and, and we get things going. And every Wednesday and, and Sunday, I'm on stage and playing guitar, leading worship, singing, and mm -hmm. again, cutting my teeth, you know, just refining my gift and refining, uh, you know, refining my abilities uh, and getting better, you know, in, in all different ways, you know, so it was <clears throat> just an incredible thing to see again. I, I know I keep going back to Providence, how the Lord was just opening up all these doors that I had no idea would be there. I mean, I didn't even see leading worship as a possibility ever when I was deployed. And I actually ended up, that's the only medal I was awarded, uh, for while I was over there was a volunteer service medal for leading worship. So maybe I'm the only only person ever to be awarded that medal for leading worship. <laughs> that was uh Hey, congratulations. Was, I got the <laughs> but uh, you know, if anybody ever doubts me, I have the I have literally have the paperwork to prove it. So, uh it's, it's I don't think they'll doubt you at all. <laughs> well, sometimes I think people are like, "Huh? Like that doesn't make any sense, you know, because they they view deployment as um you know, you're in the desert all day fighting the enemy. And it's it's like, well, no, not really. Actually, a lot of it is, you know, you're sitting around a lot, wasting a lot of days and you're in your mind a lot. So there was so like there was a big need for me to keep my mind focused on uh, yeah. a higher power. You know, I needed to stay focused on the things of God. I needed to stay focused on what he had for me, I needed to remember that he was going to provide a way out for me, that I was going to leave here one day. Um, and I think all the soldiers there too, I mean, there was a need for, there was a need for Jesus for sure. And I mean, in those, in that situation, because we had so many soldiers going through so many different things back home and, um, some, this was their third, fourth, fifth deployment. And, you got to understand, I mean, you really get to a point over there where you feel like you're never going to get out of this place. You know, you feel like you're locked up in prison at times. So it is a huge, um, it is a huge need over there for spiritual health. And I mean, we had, we had soldiers that weren't even believers that would come to service mm -hmm. just to, cause, and I mean, obviously they were searching for something, you know, but just to get out of the situation they were in. So for, for me, well, you're it was in a, a huge desert. Need. Yes, yeah, it you're was literally truly in a desert. I mean, we have spiritual deserts, but you were physically and spiritually probably in a time of wandering and in a desert, which speaks to every person watching or listening to this. Like music, you you couldn't get away what God had called you to, but he right. put you in a season where you had to work out some of this stuff from early childhood or think through how do I make sense of, how do I put a good God together with my past? Did some of that happen while you were there? Yes. I mean, I definitely, uh, there was a lot to wrestle with while I was there. I mean, I had some amazing chaplains over there, really, that helped me grow. Uh, you know, there was a chaplain over there, uh, Chaplain Morris. He had an incredible testimony. And um, really, it was so much growth. I felt like if anything uh, that happened while I was at Camp Arif John, I grew physically because, <laughs> I mean, I was just getting in shape. But and then I grew spiritually, like seriously. I mean, I was yeah. I was really digging into a lot of things, not necessarily like coming to grips with my story, but mm. the seeds of that were starting to be planted, 
which was important. Yes. And it's it's almost like when I really started to speak about my story and give my testimony, um, it, it's like it came at the perfect time. You know, it came at the perfect time right as I was really starting to get into music. But it's like I feel like the Lord kind of shut my mouth for a while about a lot of things until he thought I was until I could come to grips with my own story. And I could start to heal from my own pain and my own trauma. I don't think he really wanted me to speak to others and tell them what they should be doing when I hadn't even come to grips with mine yet. And I think that was obviously, you know, a, a genius on God's part, because who knows what I would have been saying to people. Um when I really hadn't even healed yet. So, but the seeds of the seeds of healing were really being planted in me. Uh, but you got to understand there was just so much that had happened. You kind of become like a stoic almost. You become so like numb to those things. And you say to yourself, this is what I told myself. Uh, it doesn't even affect me. Doesn't even like, I don't even worry about, it. I don't even think about it. You know, don't even, don't even consider it. And when really that was not, the whole truth, you know, like, yes, and it didn't necessarily affect my day to day in the sense of like, I could go do my job, I could wake up, get out of bed, I could go run six miles, I could, you know, I could go to bed without crying, you know, I could go maybe even a day without thinking about it. But there were still things that were constantly coming up in my life um, because of that trauma, and I refused to deal with yeah. it. Well, like you said, God shut your mouth for a while. And we're not ready to minister until we have um, gone through the healing process with Jesus. He is right. our physician. He is our healer. And we don't have much to give. And so that desert season or those who are looking for their identity possibly need to just say, Jesus, what is it about my own story that you want to heal? Because there is a purpose for my life to give to others in a way that I don't have right now. Right. And so he filled you and then you come back from Kuwait and you start getting into music. Yeah, I finally I finally kind of bite the bullet and start getting into the studio with a friend of mine, Total God thing there as well. Um, and getting to the studio with him and, and cutting some songs and start making my way out to Nashville and making some connections and doing some recording out here. And, and that was huge for a Louisiana kid. I mean, huge. I mean, we, because to us, like going out to Nashville and recording songs is, it's the ultimate. Like, I mean, for me now, it's so funny when I hear like, when I hear somebody say like, you know, you know, Nashville's where you need to go to make it because now I know that's not really true. And it's even less true than it's ever been. But back then, it's like, this is what this is what success is. Like, if we get out to Nashville, we can cut some songs and we can make some connections out there. Like, we can really, like, get be, become a part of something out there. We're really going to be big, you know? Like, and I say we because, like, you know, I was talking, like, my friend Luke, and that's what me and him would always, like, dream about. Like, wow, you know, these songs are going to be big and they're going to do all these things and we got to get out to Nashville. And so it was... uh you know, a kind of a, a huge dreamer kind of phase for me, you know, and it, but it was needed. I needed, I needed that encouragement. I needed that, that dream for a change. I needed that hope for a better future because even in the military, sometimes I didn't have it. Sometimes I didn't, like I said, I didn't know how I was going to ever get out of this situation. I still had a couple years left on my contract. And finally, when my contract was up, I, yeah, I didn't resign. They really wanted me to, but I didn't resign and I was going to go chase what God 
was calling for me and my wife really pushed me into it. I mean, if, if it weren't for her, I'm really not sure if I would have ever done it. Um, but she is the one who said, Nope, we're, we're leaving. Like we're packing up and we're doing it because if we don't leave now, we're never going to leave. Like we have, we can't, we can't keep telling ourselves one day and looking back, it was the best decision I ever made because it was, you know, it was really the Lord, you know, the Lord working through her, like, Hey, get your stupid husband out to where he needs to be because I've already, you know, he was already opening doors here without me even living here. And sure enough is the moment I moved here, I was able to get on tour. I was able to get signed to a label. I was able to meet, uh, get hooked up with management. I was able to get hooked up with booking, like all the, all the business side of things that needed to kind of happen just started to happen. And that's not me saying, Oh, look, all the great things that happened for me. It's just, I, I really feel like it was an obedience thing. Like if it, if I wouldn't have been obedient in that time, it wouldn't have happened. Um, so it, it was just incredible to see what the Lord did, like with that obedience. And for, I mean, there's been ups and downs since then, but it's really, even this past year and year or two with these last couple singles I've released, it's like, wow, this obedience and this, uh, you know, following this calling is really starting to pay off in the sense of like, I'm, I'm really seeing the fruits of it. Not, not even in a financial way, but really just in like an overall, like holistic way. I mean, I'm really seeing, you know, the fruits of it. And it's just incredible to see like a ministry finally reach a point where you're like, wow, I can't even imagine what would have happened if I didn't like, imagine if I wouldn't have taken that step to move here. Imagine if I wouldn't have done what God had said to do, like, where would I be right now? And it's, it's incredible. It, it is incredible, Nathan, to hear, I mean, and you're, you're still in the, not the beginning stages, but one of the things I love about you is that there's a humility where you said, my wife told me, we've got to do this now. It wasn't you saying, I'm going to go chase after my dream. It was her saying, no, we're going to go pursue this because you have a gift. And God puts people in our lives that see things in us that we don't see in ourselves. And right. like you said, it's hard. It's hard to be obedient. In one of the interviews, you t- talked about being in the studio. And that can be really challenging as well at times, just because that self-belief isn't there. But knowing that God has put you there, then you can say, Lord, you've given me a gift. I want to honor you with this. Right. What, what as we close, would you have to say to someone who does doubt their future, who wasn't given a past that was real supportive, but God is going to use that? Well, I, I always try to sum everything up into, the, into identity. I think mm-hmm. really for me, um, it took a while and even I'm still doing it even in the past past few years but whatever it is that you're still holding on to from childhood from uh, a trauma that's happened in the past couple of years you know a bad breakup bad college experience some like something you failed at like there's so many different events that may not necessarily qualify as traumatic for people like me or, or people like you but for this person you know it's mm-hmm. like it's the ultimate thing like it's the thing they can't let go of I would say that you really have to start positioning yourself into a place of understanding the identity you have in Christ, because if you don't do that, you're never going to really be free. You're really never going to be free from any of it. And it's, 
I know this because it's like when we get saved, it's like we're a baby Christian, really. I mean, we're born again, literally, you know, like in a way, like not literally, but in the spiritual realm, we're born again. I mean, we're a brand new creation. So there's growth that needs to happen. You know, I think it was Nicodemus. He's like, well, how can I go back in my mother's womb and be born? And he's like, no, you need to be born again by the spirit. And I mean, that means to me born again. Okay. Now we're a spiritual infant or, or an infant Christian, yeah. and we need to slowly learn, you know, who we are. And I think ultimately we find out who we are is who Christ is in us. You know, and I think yeah. once we understand that Christ dwells within us, that he, we are co-seated with him, that we have a brand new future because of him, we have a brand new destiny because of him, that he's working all things together for the good of those who love him. Once we start to understand that, take hold of that, take hold of our identity in Christ, we're really going to start to see things shift because we will never, uh, and you know, I, I know people talk a lot about internal healing. I know people talk a lot about having mentors and, and counseling, and I'm not, I'm not against those things. I mean, I'm not against therapy. I'm not against any of that, but you can never truly get set free. You can never truly be healed if you don't know what your identity is. If you're still identifying yeah. with trauma, there's still work to be done. If you're still identifying with your pain, if you're saying, because for me, it was like a lot of internalizing, right? It wasn't, oh, it, it was never like, oh, my mom left me. It was never just, oh, my sister passed away or anything like that. It was these things are happening, not just to me, but because of me. And I think people, once they start to finally let some of that break off, like, hey, none of this is really your fault. You know, a lot of these things just happen to you. And they were traumatic things, but they were out of your control. And the things we tend to grab hold of and identify with and mm -hmm. linger on, it's the things we can't even control. You know, the things we had no power to change. So I think for a lot of people, they just need to, <clears throat> they really need to like dig into the word, dig into prayer. And I know this is easier yeah. said than done, but understand their identity know that they're co-seated with Christ. And I'm talking to Christians here. If you don't know Christ, you know, today's, I mean, today's the perfect day. You know, you can know Christ right now. I mean, it's, it's grace by faith. You know what I mean? We just have to have faith that he is Lord, that he died on the cross, that he, he rose in three days, that he, he, he stole the keys from death. I mean, it's, it's the simple, the simplicity of the gospel, you know, and God's will is that all men should be saved and that none should perish. So, I mean, there's that free gift of salvation for whoever's listening today, but also for Christians, there's this identity that you need to grab hold of. It's almost like the second mm -hmm. step in a way. You really need to grab hold of this. And man, I truly believe when, when Christians start to do that and live that day by day, they're going to start to see things shift big time in their life. And they're going to start to see doors open up that they can't even imagine opening up. And they're going to finally be in a place where they can accept a new future for themselves rather than dwelling on the old. So that's my, that's my long winded way of saying, read the Bible, but <laughs> you know, read the Bible, read the Bible read and know it. who Christ is, but <laughs> read it, take it in. Don't be defined by what's happened, but allow those experiences for God to use, um, in a bigger story. And yours is definitely coming out in the songs that you sing, the songs that you write in the way that you sing, um, just, I so thank you for allowing God to speak in and through you. And I pray that the words that he puts in your heart will come out because it is such a blessing to so many. Um, you're on tour or you're going on tour. Yes. So I'm they going... can find, they can find information at your site. 
Yes, I just got off a tour and I'm going on tour this uh, Christmas with uh, Sela. So it's a band called Sela. And they're. Oh, I love them. I interviewed yeah. one of the gals there too. They're wonderful. Oh, yeah. Great. Uh, I know Amy and, and she's amazing. So mm -hmm. um, going on tour with them, uh, Todd Allen and Amy, and uh, we're just going to have a blast. And you definitely will be able to find dates here soon. I'll be putting those on my website. We'd love to see you out there. And I think it's just going to be incredible. So it's going to be, Great. I mean, Sailors fans really show up. So I, I, I kind of have a built-in crowd. So there, nobody's coming for me. <laughs> well, I'm going to ask for a little ticket right there, pal, because I <laughs> love that. We'll That's wonderful. <laughs> well, thank you for your time, Nathan. And thank you for your spirit, your testimony, and the words of encouragement that you've given. Well, thank you so much. It was an honor and a blessing to be here. Thank you again for joining us today at Reframing Ministries. You can find the show notes in the description below. The Reframing Ministries podcast is a production of Insight for Living Ministries.